in our series here, we've been talking about this idea that most of us have, okay? If you spent time in the church for, uh, uh, for a while, you begin to come to a place. There's a place where you've kind of, you were hungry, you were so excited about God, you wanted more of God, and the church was a place to get that. And so worship was exciting, no matter what type of worship it was. Uh, the sermons, classes, scriptures, whatever it was, you ate it up. But at some point, you kind of moved to a place in your life where it had less interest. You became a little bit jaded. You know, things became ordinary to you. Church becomes more of a burden than this exciting thing to go do. Uh, your time with family or your time on vacation is, is more, uh, I guess, encouraging and restful than going to church. And so we've all had this kind of thought kind of creep into our brains somewhere. And it, it could be phrased a different way. But, you know, let's just give up on this church thing. Why is church really so important? You know, I, I could stop going to church today and, you know, if I need to worship, I can worship in my car with, with the CD or I can get alone and, uh, on a hike or in nature and spend time with God. I can pray in my prayer closet or I can have my prayer beads. I can do any type of these things on my own. I can have fellowship. We can bring people over to our home and, you know, we can pray together, do Bible studies. Why do we need to keep doing this thing? Why don't we just give up on this thing, right? Why don't we give up on this thing? And so uh, in this series, it's been a really kind of fun question for us to explore. And so this morning, I want to kind of take us into this a little bit more with a different question. What is the church supposed to do? Okay, so if the church exists, okay, which we're, you know, we're in a church building, right? We're doing church right now. What does the church exist to do? What is the doing part, right? So if, if a business exists to create a certain type of product, right, what does the church exist to accomplish, right? Why does it need to be here? So as a pastor, I've had some interesting experiences with this question. Um, you know, typically when people come to a church, they want you to do a certain type of thing. There's an idea that we have of what church does. So I want to ask you, there is no right or wrong answer. I want you to kind of holler it out at me. What are churches supposed to do? Anybody? Come on now, it's that kind of day. Let's go. What do you got? What was that? Love. Anyone else? Create community, fellowship. Anybody else? Equip. Amen. Anybody else? Reach out. What? Live outside the walls. <laughs> I have to be real careful not to mess with all of you with all your answers. They're all beautiful answers. I'm just very honored on Father's Day. Okay, is there anyone else? Any, any other answers? Church exists to do what? Do we like feed hungry people? No, okay, we don't do that. Um, <laughs> wow, or that church. No, they're fine. Get a job. You know. <laughs> what was that? Oh, be fishers of men. I love that, right? Anyone else? What does a church exist to do? Oh, okay, so the church prepares you to go do the fishing. Okay, I like this. There are all these different things, right? So, community involvement. I wish Grace Church would just do more in Alma, Arkansas. How about this? How about missions? I wish Grace Church would, would send more people to other countries. Or uh, how about this? Um, I wish Grace Church had more fun events for our family. Because churches are supposed to create fun events for families. Uh, anyone else? Um, Grace Church should do more for the homeless or for refugees. Or, you know, Grace Church should be more involved in social activism. Grace Church should be more involved in politics. They should tell you who to vote for, who Jesus is going to use in this election. Amen. And everyone who's been here chuckles. <laughs> we know Pastor Devin's not going to do that. Okay. 
There are all these different do's, right? There are different things that we believe the church is supposed to accomplish. And often for most of us, if a church is not doing that thing which we believe the, exist, the church exists to do, then we think that church is broken. That church is broken because they don't do more of this thing. See, churches are supposed to do these things, and that church doesn't do these things. So I'm going to go to the church that does the things, right? I have a question for you to kind of follow up on this. What does the Statue of Liberty do? Everyone goes, okay. I don't like this question. What does it do? What, is, what pragmatic purpose does the Statue of Liberty have? Do people get to live in it? Is it a place to hide from storms? Sure. Anyone else? It's for defense of the country. When people try to come in, there's missiles in it. When you, shoot, you know. What is the point? What, what practical value does this thing have to our country? Anybody? It's an S word. It's a symbol, right? The value that the Statue of Liberty has for us, it has value because it exists. <laughs> it's, it has value because it does this thing. It would not be a great college. All right, we're going to have one class up there in the spire. I'll see you in 20 minutes when you get done going up the elevator. Oh, it's a good hospital. Hey, the ER is all the way up there. Actually, we're going we're gonna to feed people. So if you could just put everyone on a boat and just like boat them over, and then we're going to feed them there, and then they can go back. It has no practical purposes. It is a very impractical thing. When I speak to people who have left the church, uh, or I, I speak to some of my atheist friends who, who don't see any point for the church, they often say this, do you know how much money you guys waste just having that building exist? Paying the, having the lights on? You, you have no idea. I am fully aware. Fully aware. Do you have any idea how much good you could do with that money if you just like sold the building and you went to Africa and you gave everyone water? Absolutely right. I've thought about all these things. What if you took that money and you gave it to the Red Cross? Of course, that's not a popular thing now on Facebook. Everyone hates the Red Cross. Those awful people, right? <laughs> Come on, I've seen your Facebook posts. I know who you are. <laughs> Don't give the Red Cross. They're the worst, you know. Oh, I love you guys. There are all these different things we could do, right? Let me be very honest with you. The church is the most impractical organization I've ever studied in my life. The church is not great at doing things. We're not very good at it. We started out being pretty poor at it too, by the way. If you want to read the book of Acts, it's a great story of how we started. They're out there preaching and signs and wonders, all the excitement. They go, hey, by the way, we've got all these people that we have to feed. Who's going to feed these guys? And of course, the people in charge go, not us, <laughs> somebody else. We're going to call them deacons, code for table waiters. Who wants that job? Come on, that's funny. Anyway, the pastor going, I'm not going to the nursery, you are, that's your job. Jesus spoke to you about that calling, right? The church is not practical, it's not pragmatic, it's not good at doing things. If you want to go out and to take care of crisis, if there is a tsunami, if there is a flood in Fort Smith, guess what? The church is not the most efficient mechanism to help people. It's not. 
If you want to find a, a, a thing to get involved in the community, guess what? The church is not the best at doing it. The church is pretty poor at doing it. The amount of energy and money that's going to go into the church doing that is going to be less efficient than, say, the Rotary Club or the Elks Lodge. Anybody? Nobody cares. Okay. You get the idea. There are groups who are better at this because they exist for that thing. That's what they were built to do. As much as you might hate the Red Cross and oh, CEO makes so much money, this organization has honed, they have one purpose. How do we get resources to where it's needed as fast as possible? We're going to have all these mechanisms. We're going to train people. We're going to put equipment in places. And we're going to get things where they need it quickly. Churches can't do it as well. Community engagement. You know what? We're going to have the best fun events ever. We're going to do like bounce arounds, hot dogs, and snow cones. And you guys are going to have the best time ever. It's going to be so cool. I would like us all to be very honest right now in this moment. The best event we could ever put on for fun, if you had to choose between it and Branson, where are you going? You're only coming if you're broke. Amen? <laughs> if you already spent your vacation money, okay, let's go get the hot dogs and the bounce around. Amen. Hallelujah. All right? But if you had the money, you would go to a place that's really good at having fun. Okay, you guys are lying today. Okay, I, I get it. It's Father's Day. We can't be honest today. I, I understand. Name that thing. Worship. Oh, the church exists for worship. I'll tell you right now, there are bands all over the world that are better than we are. And we're awesome compared to other churches. But don't compare us to bands who all they do is play music because then we stink because we don't get to just play music. We do all these other things too. There are so many better places to pray than here. There are so many mountaintops and beaches and forests, which I would rather spend time praying there than pray here if I had my choice. This is not even the best place to pray. Now, we are the best teachers. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. We're not the best at any of those things. Um, whenever I went to seminary, I went because I was so inspired by what the church could be. But I was never inspired by what the church could do. I always knew that the church was not good at doing. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do. See, all these things I just listed are all crucial things that we are supposed to do. But the beauty of the church is not in doing, and it never will be. The beauty of the church is in one thing. We could be so beautiful at being a certain type of people, being a certain type of place, and symbolizing a certain type of thing to people. At our best, we will be a terrific Statue of Liberty. We will never be the Red Cross. Now, what's interesting about this is, the Red Cross, hospitals, colleges, education, all these things were born in the church. You just didn't know that. All these things were started inside the church. But to do those things really well, you've got to create something that's just going to do that thing. And that thing is not what the church exists for. If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to go back to the opening verse we had here. I want to kind of show you this. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And He died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. Here's where it gets very interesting. 
He just states, everyone inside the church, we exist in the church, we're here for one reason. Because we have this deep down belief that this person, this God person, Jesus the Christ, died for us. And because He died for us, He's called us to a certain type of thing. And here's what He's called us to in verse 16. So from now on, we will throw the best parties, worship venues, <laughs> social engagement, political activism. You guys are, are, are get the point? That's not in the Bible? Okay, here we go. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Just pause there one second. I know it sounds churchy, but let me translate. We will see no one the way that everyone else sees them. The way that the world sees people, we will not look at them that way. Because we are people who are in this room for one reason, because we believe Jesus died to call us to something, to, to lead us into a certain type of being, a certain type of living. And the first thing that this living is, is that this is going to be a place where we look at people in a different way. That hasn't sunk into you yet this morning. I don't think you realize what he's saying there. Um, I'm not. Have you ever been on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anybody? Okay. <laughs> it is very easy to see how the world sees other people. Um, every church in the world claims C.S. Lewis to believe what they believe, but there is one thing that C.S. Lewis taught that I really love a lot. Uh, he created this, this uh, fiction novel where he gave his best idea of what he thinks hell kind of looks like. And in, this, in hell, in his, in his novel, there was this, this space, this place, where everyone in hell, and in, in, in this world, on this planet, was constantly moving farther from everyone else. So let's kind of have a picture. Like we all start in the center, like we're all together. And then hell is every one of us goes in our own direction, we just, and we never stop going away from each other. Or, and someone's going that direction, someone's going that direction, that direction, that direction, that direction. That. And what's crazy about it is each person has their own home. They have their, their dream house, right? The garden they always wanted, the, the mansion that they could imagine, whatever. They all had their perfect little environment. I've asked people about heaven a lot, and often the answer I'll get is, hey, everyone's going to have their own place. They're, it's like Barbie's dream house. Everyone's going to have their own, like Barbie and Ken's dream house. It's going to be the perfect place. Well, what I love in, in C.S. Lewis's pictures, we all get that. We all get that <laughs> Barbie's dream house. And, I, and our dream houses are being moved every moment, every second. It's not fast. It's just gently moving away from other people. Farther and farther and farther in isolation. Now, I've always seen this in people. When you, when you pastor, when you counsel, when you're involved with, with people's emotions, you see this. It's a human tendency, right? The safest place is alone. Period. The safest place is to never love another person ever. To never be vulnerable, to never trust, to never uh, share anything, to always just kind of keep yourself isolated. That is the only place where you're guaranteed to be safe. Where you will not be hurt. To be alone. And this is human nature. But in the last two years, I've never seen it on the scale that I've seen it now. Everyone who was here at Grace Church during the, um, during the election, you know how hard it was for us. Because we are a very diverse body. And I could see it every single morning. There was just like these two groups who were just 
splitting every single week, every day, every month, going farther and farther away from each other. And then, of course, inside each group, there's people who begin to splinter and go off in different directions. And I've seen this. This is, this is what the world does. We, we find safety in finding people who are like us and pushing people who are not away from us. And we, we find our clans and we, we just begin to get farther and farther away. But the beautiful thing about C.S. Lewis's picture is it shows what really happens. When you begin to live that way, when you only find safety with the people who fully agree with you, all you got to do is spend more time around someone to find out that you are not the same. We have a baseball team that we're on. It's been a blast. What's so cool is that we always get to talk about baseball. It's so cool. Hey, so awkward silence. Uh, so how about that game? Yeah, that game was great. Come on. Anybody? At work, the awkward silence. Hey, so how about work? How about the Razorbacks blowing that game? Awesome. Yeah, I hate the Razorbacks. You know, that's what happens, right? What happens when you have to talk about things of substance? Opinions, beliefs, ideas, thoughts. All of a sudden, you begin to realize, okay, maybe we don't agree. You go that way, and I'll go this way. It's called marriage, people. Oh, so we're not the same? Okay. <laughs> I don't like you anymore. Come on, this is funny. Children grow up. They realize that they're not the same as their parents anymore. They don't agree with their parents and everything. So what do they do? What if there was a place where that, that cycle, where we continually separate ourselves, where we're constantly being pulled into isolation, what if there was a place that stopped this? What if there was a draw, something so strong and powerful that could bring us back together that wasn't... It's so beautiful with baseball because, again, all these families are so different. We don't have, we don't have much in common. But this one common thing, if we focus on it, we can be around each other. Our tastes in music, politics... Our incomes, educations are completely different. But if we focus on baseball, we can, we can have a good time together, right? As something as silly as baseball is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciles. That's my favorite word in the Scriptures. Reconcile. To bring back together the wholeness. Picture a vase that was dropped and broken. To have all the pieces brought back together again. Those who were, who were walking away from each other, being brought into complete distance and separation, isolation, being brought back. We're about to take the Eucharist, the communion today. The reason that we have two halves of the bread, you break the bread to show the body of Christ is broken, but it's symbolic of the very fabric of humanity, the family of God, was broken and in Christ brought back together. All this is from God who reconciled, who brought us back to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to sub that word out, ministry. It sounds too churchy for most of you guys. Most of you guys here just kind of ignore it. The purpose. The thing to live for. The, the thing to do as long as you are breathing on this earth. 
is to bring people back. How much of your life right now is spent bringing people together? Here's the problem. When you are stepping away from people, you are automatically feeling safer and safer. When you spend your life bringing people together, it is vulnerable. It's dangerous. It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. It's not always rewarding. And it doesn't always work. See, the church is the most impractical thing at doing anything but one thing. Reconciling. We are called to pray, yes. To worship, yes. To clothe the naked, yes. To feed the hungry, yes. To help with education and hospitals and city engagement. And you know what? Even have a decent hot dog and blow-up party. Amen. We can do all these things, but guess what? That's not what we're good at. It's not what we were born for. All these things are important things. But they're not the thing. We were created for one thing. The church exists for one thing. To have walls that when you walk in these walls, there's only one thing that matters. Christ crucified. Period. Oh, you don't... You love the president? You hate the president? Christ. Period. Incomes, colors, races, backgrounds, experiences, opinions. Christ crucified. Shut up. Easier said than done. The reason that so many of our churches will focus on doing instead of being is the doing is the easy thing. It's not hard to coordinate an event, which by the way, I'm not good at that. Some of you have the gift of coordination. It is hard for me, okay? But for a, for a decent-sized church to coordinate people to go build a house, to send money somewhere, to, to have blow-ups and hot dogs, that can be done. But to get people who only feel safe in isolating themselves with people who they believe are the same as them, and to get them to grow emotionally, mentally, spiritually, to live life with people who are different than them, mm -mm. that is a dream. That is almost a pipe dream. Unfortunately, it's the only thing that this was created to do. And see, the whole point is this. When you create a space that is all about Christ crucified, and you begin to live out that friction that comes by being with people who are disagreeing or different, and you let the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures do their work, all of a sudden, things come out of it. The idea of hospitals, trying to take care of the physically sick, this is born out of it. The idea that people to, to flourish need education, start colleges and schools, comes out of it. Community engagement to be involved with the life of a city comes out of it. Heck, having fun comes out of it. Doing events comes out of these things. But if you reverse the order, if we focus on doing the things and not the being, it's an illusion. There's no real unity in the room. There's no real submission to Christ as Lord in the room. All there is, is a temporary partnership to do things that we agree on until we choose to break that agreement. You're not functioning as the people who are convinced that one man died for all, that we should live for each other. This is not how we live. 
The only thing the church is really called to do first is to be the church. Being. To be a symbol. Yes, we can do all these other things, but only after we first figure out how do we be a symbol of what is possible. I've been asked multiple times by other pastors, so I love your ideas on paper. That's awesome. But this is suicide. You know that, right? It's not going to work. I'm fully aware. (laughs) Trust me, I'm fully aware. What you need to do, Pastor Devin, is just hone it. Focus on people who have a certain income, who are a certain age, or a certain color, and you know what? Your church, and who, who like a certain type of music. And then, boom! All sorts of people will gather because they're so excited to be around people just like them. Amen. I'm aware of that. But we are called to something different. Now, Grace Church is not there. We aren't this yet. I've never been in a church that's this yet. I'm not even sure. I'm not even fully convinced it's actually possible to reach all the way there yet. But I'm not willing to give up trying. But what I do know is this. If the church, if it disappeared today, if it ceased to exist right now, there would be plenty of other organizations taking care of social justice, taking care of community engagement, taking care of foreign giving, taking care of the other nations. There would be plenty of people even teaching and preaching. That's not. There are plenty of people on YouTube, let me just tell you, who are not a part of any church. <laughs> there would be all sorts of organizations who would respond when there's a hurricane or a flood. But where in the world are you going to find a place where you can come as broken as you honestly are, not as you pretend to be, as you honestly are, and find people who will look at you as a new creation, who will look at you as the best version that you could ever be of yourself? Where are you going to find a place that's going to focus not just on your outer health, if you have clothes on, if you're physically healthy, we're going to focus on your soul, the part of yourself that you are the most disconnected from. The part of yourself, your dreams and your, your pain and your despair, your insecurity, your, your fears. Where are you going to find a place where you can bring those things out? If not the church, then where? There are all sorts of other things on the earth that are going to do all the other things that churches do, but where are you going to find a place to put yourself back together on the inside? Where are you going to find a place to be fully embraced and helped to grow and to heal on the inside? The part that you can't touch and you can't see and you can't even sometimes have a grip on it. The emotions that you can hardly control. The hidden thoughts and feelings and the the deep-rooted pain. The things that only pop up in moments throughout your life. Where are you going to go to find those things to be met? We will do all the other stuffs, but that's not what the church was created for. The reason that we waste money on a big, stupid building (laughs) with beautiful carpet, amen, hallelujah, and the reason that we pay people to be on staff, and the reason that we do all these different things is because, you know what, that's very impractical for doing anything physical. We get that. We're going to do our best to tweak and hone that, but we do it for one reason. 
Because for some reason, people need a place where we come and we can be, where we can share, we can be vulnerable. We can learn to trust people. We can learn to be honest with ourselves. Honesty is one of the least found things in our culture today. Everything about our culture is about creating a different version of yourself. Where are you going to go to find yourself? And so the other question for us is, if this is what the church is called to be, then how do we be it? How do we be a place like this? We know it has to be centered on Christ crucified. We know the Spirit and the Scriptures are going to be involved. But what are the practical things that we're going to have to create in this, inside these walls? Here's the first thing we're going to have to create. This type of healing, this type of seeing people as new creations, bringing people together who are being separated, to, to, to end the type of junk that you see all over social media where everyone is so far apart. How do you start that? The first thing is this, raw honesty. I'm not saying speak the truth in love. That's code for just being a jerk, by the way. To be honest means this, to bring the deepest parts of your brokenness out and let other people bring the deepest parts of theirs out. Can you do that? The truth is most of us cannot. We have to be taught. And that's okay. But the church has to be a place where we allow this to happen. Because it is a scary, ugly, sometimes a little bit uncomfortable environment when people come and say, okay, here's, here's who I really am. Now what? The second element we've got to have inside these walls is sincere humility. I've had to wrestle with false humility my entire life. How do you truly be humble? I can tell you, yeah, you know what? You are great. I, you know what? Your thoughts on that matter are really intelligent. I value your opinion. How do I really value your opinion? Not with my words. How do I truly value someone who disagrees with me? Raw honesty, sincere humility on the, inner, the innermost parts. Most of you, when you speak the truth in love, you have no real concern for someone else's opinions. You care nothing about it. There is no teacher, there is no story that will ever change your mind. You already think you know, and the problem is this, you don't know. You don't know a thing. There's no one in this room who knows for sure. I have a whole series on that, by the way. You can go, you can go watch it. So we start with humility. We say, okay, here's what I know. Here's my brokenness. Here's all of my experience. Here's my opinions. Here's what I've learned. And here's what I believe. Here's what I'm standing on. But I don't know that I know everything. As far as I've checked, I'm still not Jesus. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Step three, uncomfortable diversity. It's easier to be raw and honest, to be humble with people who you agree with who are like you. I, I can be pretty humble and honest with certain people who I really know think the same thing I do, who agree with me, who have been through my experiences. But to do it with someone who I, in my mind, when I play it out, I know they're not going to accept me. They're not going to agree with me. They're going to they're, they're judge me. That's the environment. It's hard to be honest and to be humble because I want to keep my guard up. I don't really trust you. And the fourth thing is this. You have to have imperfect guides. The reason that grace that we always strive to show the honest, broken sides of our leaders, including myself, is because anytime you, you elevate any human example of what it is to be 
to make it to the spiritual mountain. You're now, you're now creating this environment where everyone's trying to, to act as if they are that. Oh no, I'm blessed and highly favored. Amen, how about you? Well, I heard you had a terrible week. No, 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 no. God's always faithful. Amen. Not what I heard. I talked with a pastor the other day. I said, hey, so what's it like doing ministry? It sucks, huh? Oh no, it's the best thing ever. Amen. I said, really? I heard that you almost lost your house. Oh no, God is faithful. Amen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, is it fun to almost lose your home? <laughs> oh no, it's great. I love it. It's worth it for the cross. Would anyone just love to go experience to lose their home? Anybody? Okay, let's be honest. No, it stinks, right? To have these four things built upon the Christ crucified in the Scriptures and the Spirit, we have a chance. We have a chance. Would you guys stand with me today? We're going to end on this, and it's Father's Day, and I know we've all got plans to get to, so I want to make sure you guys have freedom. We're, not, we're going to open up the table, and uh, unlike most Sundays, I want to give you the freedom to kind of take this as you will. If, if uh, you have to run, that's okay. If you want to do this with your family or with a, uh, an isolation on your own, just kind of to focus and get centered, that's okay. But we're going to make this available to you. Father, we just come to you this morning. We come to the table, to your table. We ask when we come here this morning that we would allow the broken bread, the, the body of Christ crucified for us, to know that these four walls, that this place, this is the physical and the spiritual place where we have freedom to be broken. There's no need for masks or for pretending. There's no need to be who other people want us to be. We have the freedom to be as honestly hurt and broken as we might be today. And as we come and we take the juice, Lord, we ask that you would remind us that in the juice is not just the God who knows that we're broken, but in the blood of Christ spilled for us, there's a promise of wholeness, that we don't have to stay broken. There is a promise of healing, there's a promise of life and life with no end. So I just want to say that this is uh, where we practice open communion. It means if you've chosen to make Christ your Lord and Savior, you're welcome. So what we're going to do is, after I kind of bless you guys, we're going to open it up and you guys can come on down and get your elements. Take it as you will. We're going to close the service and hang out if you want to hang out. Do it quick if you want to. I just want to kind of give you guys freedom. Father, I just bless these people that the Holy Spirit would give us freedom to be honest. That the Holy Spirit, that you would teach us in the Scriptures how to be truly humble, to honor people, even the ones who we just don't get. And that you would allow us to be around people who stretch us and try us. People who we don't feel accepted by. And that you'd always also allow us to to let people lead us who are just broken like we are. In Jesus' name.